Hello and welcome to the Super Show podcast. I am Alex Jones, today your host uh, of this show, even though it's a dry news week. But someone who is not dry is my co-host Jamie, who is moist with humour and with news. So, yeah. go. Okay, um, you added a few clarifying statements there that I think just about got us over the line. I'm glad you didn't describe me as either moist or wet, full stop, because that would have left a little bit too much to the imagination. But uh, yeah, sure, humour, I'll bring as much of it as I can. News, no promises. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not been great, um, but there is enough, Jamie, for us to talk about for at least an hour or a little bit more, maybe. Um, and I know that you've been playing some new stuff. I know I've been playing some new stuff that we could have a little bit of a talk about. And also... Uh, Disney have done us the the great service of deciding to drop one and a half billion dollar bucks uh, in a deal with Epic Games that we're going to be talking about as well. And Hideo has been opening up a little bit more about Fizzit, the um, the shoot the espionage game that we don't know much. You about. can call it a shooty game. It's fine. Like that's I'm, kind of what it is. I was but then I was like, I was thinking, is it going to be shooty? I don't know. I shouldn't say that. I should just say what we know, which is espionage, which is what we do know. So. Hey, there you go. And if you haven't figured out yet, we are a video game podcast, which is why these stories are all about games. Uh, you can find us on YouTube and all across the podcast verse. That needs to be a thing. Podverse. Yeah, that'll, that'll be coming to Fortnite at some point as well. Spotify dumped $1.5 billion into Epic Games and there's a podcast universe coming to. Coming to the game, you can walk up to Joe Rogan yourself and see his weird deformed six pack in the flesh. I'd and play. he starts dancing. Oh, I'd play as Joe Rogan in Fortnite. Why not? That'd be good. Yeah, you could get, get a few Joe Rogan voice lines in there. Yeah, oh, that, that do, would... Do, do, you know, do you know what the best emote would be? Would be immediately after you kill someone, you get to trigger an emote uh, where Joe Rogan just says, Jamie, pull that up, and it pops up <laughs> a little video that's just a replay of the kill you just got. That that would actually be wicked. I was thinking that um, it would be uh, like a... Um, what would you call them? You know, like in COD, COD where you do the the super kills, where you uh, can go up super do a finisher, kills. like a finisher, where you got behind someone. And okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with Joe Rogan, I'd have them do, you know, that body kick that he does in the video where you're just, oh, it's insanely yeah. hard. I'd just do that and have them fly off into the sky and just disappear. Yeah. Dead. And I feel like if you need a sort of a traversal emote, like I know sometimes I've seen Fortnite characters get in one of those little choo-choo trains. I feel like Joe Rogan's could be a little ice bath on wheels. Um, so he just gets into the ice bath and goes, just starts hyperventilating and it, while he rolls along on the ground. There you go. Yeah, well, that, that was Epic. If you, if you need any new uh, ideators for the, uh, for the emotes team or for the, for the future collaborations team, you're listening to two of them right now. Indeed. And hey, after this deal with Disney, they're going to have a lot of different things to choose from and IPs to play with. So they're going to need new people. That's, that's all I'm going to say. Absolutely. But yes, we are not just on Spotify or uh, in Fortnite. We're also on iTunes and Google Podcasts. And you can catch us on paisleyradio.com Thursdays at 10pm. Um, also Mondays at 10pm on Replay. So catch us there. Jamie, as I said, Crazy. it's not been the best week for gaming news. <laughs> um, but we are going to uh, delve a little bit um, into a couple of news stories. So as we've said just now, the first news story we're going to talk about is this Disney epic deal. Um, that is being signed, is on the cards to being signed. Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, uh, has talked about them taking their biggest step into the world of video games so far, which is a, a partnership, an equity stake, is what they're calling it, um, in Epic Games, which which I guess, I don't know how much that means they're going to own of the company, but you'd think they're going to own a pretty healthy stake of Epic um, with one $1.5 billion. I don't know how much it will be. You know what? Maybe while you uh, sort of 
flesh out the story a little bit, I might see if I can find like a previous deal that was done similar to this. Like, because I know that other companies like Sony and Tencent, for example, have bought stakes in Epic before. I wonder if we can get kind of like a a previous uh, deal of this nature as a way of kind of you know another milestone to reflect to look at against this. Yeah, so I'm um, sure um, everyone out there has uh, is, is not grown weary with the amount of Marvel um star wars and everything else disney own now um, and so disney have decided that they're now going to pump out video games as well they've had enough of dipping their toes um they've had quite a, a few of their ips have already been brought into Fortnite. Yeah. Uh, we're talking obviously marvel star wars night before christmas tron have all been in there but um disney are now going in whole hog by opening up a bunch of their new ips but they're not just going to be in Fortnite. they're one they want to make games um they want to get some you know gaming ips specifically off the back of other ips they own and so this is why they're they're signing this this massive deal um yeah off the off the the first sort of point of this jamie i want to know if are you weary of disney at this point you know what i'm not i'm not as weary as other people have seemed to be i suppose there is something occasionally a little bit dystopian about you know how far they're tentacles or their tendrils or whatever you want to call them sometimes reach especially in the media world and don't get me wrong you can go down some very dark alleyways on wikipedia where you click on parent company after parent company after parent company and realize that uh, especially in the american tv and film landscape all roads lead back to disney depending on which road you're taking um i'm sure there's something there that i should be slightly scared about and it sounds like something that like someone more intelligent than me would school me on and make me scared of but at the moment like I'm not too bothered about it you know um i i, th- I think it, it puts things into context when you look at for example the landscape of um to again movie and and tv uh streaming for example that like the landscape seemed to be occupied by companies like netflix or amazon or we have sky and now tv out here in the in the uk and other parts of europe that seem like these you know these big people the companies either had like a broadcasting background or producing with their own media the disney kind of came along and all of a sudden Net, it was like Netflix and Amazon, these companies that had, you know, that were, almost exist in the case of Netflix for this express purpose were now right, like this company that produced the content had enough of a catalogue that they could become one of the biggest streaming platforms in the world based on that. Because, hey, you know, people want to go and pay one fee and watch all the Star Wars films and all the Marvel films and all that stuff. But that's, I guess, the reason why they've been making a lot of those very tactical acquisitions over the years and the reason they've been building up that, that body of IP. Um, Honestly, though, the baseline I can give, and like th- th- this is really, you know, I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm not saying people should be like me, but I'm saying that this is the kind of the average Joe consumer outlet that I have. A lot of the ways that what Disney does affects my life, whether it's positive or negative, is the quality of their output based on what they do with the IPs they own. So, like, the quality of, you know, people talk about how many times they've gone back to the well on Star Wars, for example, and the quality of the the film and TV products that have come out of the Star Wars universe as a result of that. I don't watch those shows, and I've fallen off a lot of the MCU stuff as well. But generally speaking, how many times they go back to the well on those, and how well they maintain a, a, a level of quality, a degree of quality, that's the kind of stuff that impacts my life in the most tangible way as someone who doesn't, you know, go to bed at night and stare at the ceiling worrying about, you know, massive companies becoming monopolies and all that kind of stuff and all that, you know, anti-competition concerns. And that's not where my brain ventures because I'm a very simple individual, Jonesy. Um, so 
I'm basically that's a long window way of saying I don't really care that much. Just keep making stuff and hopefully it's good. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you hear about a deal like this and it's and immediately my brain goes to, oh, okay, we're just going to be inundated with with Disney IP and it's going to be like it is with the the Marvel TV series or you know the where it's just going to end up being so over the top and you just, I'm just going to get worn out and bored and and it's going to be too much basically and we've we've joked before about the fact that these days you can have you know games can look absolutely incredible and be trash because of you know unreal engine 5 etc etc um so part of me worries about that but then at the same time i have to be i have to remind myself that disney have not been slacking when it comes to putting out games attached to their ip i mean look at the number of star wars games we've had you know the new star wars game coming out um we've had obviously two jedi games in the near in the near past um spider-man games we've got three of them on the playstation 5 or pl across playstation 4 playstation 5 um oh, we just had an yeah. avatar game that's not been out long disney own avatar for example um and so it's not like they haven't been letting games be made with this ip i suppose for them it's just that this is more of a of a a, a deal under one roof of it with epic games as opposed to sort of like you know licensing the type the um uh licensing to a bunch of different companies but then i suppose that doesn't mean they're going to stop licensing the games to different companies either so maybe we will end up having just an insane amount of um disney stuff out there and if i i'll give let me give you a quick quote from bob Iger when he was um talking about this this partnership that they were going to do he's basically said uh that they they're going to work with epic to create new games uh, an entertainment universe and what they really want is for consumers to be able to play watch shop and engage with content characters and stories from disney pixar marvel star wars avatar and more um which is what they've said in the press release so that it, it, one thing that kind of worries me about that is is almost like the commercialized way of thinking about that is like okay that's fine games from star wars across those different pillars right pixar marvel star wars uh, sorry across disney with uh pixar marvel star wars avatar that's that's fine i'm no problem with that at all but when you start talking about like our cons we want our consumers to play watch shop and engage with content you're like okay so this is how can we monetize an absolutely massive sector of the market that that you know gen z uh and gen alpha will be in the next sort of like 10 years or so um yeah it, it is that too cynical am i being too cynical well it, that's the thing it's not too cynical because one thing that is a little bit difficult with this and is the reason i think that when i read that statement that you just uh quoted from and i don't know if this is just because i'm i think i'm coming down with an illness you know behind the scenes but it was kind of like my eyes began glazing over before i could finish any sentence that bob committed to text um like when you look at the work that fortnite have done let's say more recently you know, with uh, working with Lego on the uh, on that survival game, and obviously the uh, the companies that they've acquired in uh, Harmonics um, uh, and uh, the the I can't is it Scion? I uh, can't remember who uh, the the Rocket League team, but obviously making the uh, Fortnite Festival Rhythm game and the racing game that they recently expanded their boundaries with, like it, everything still exists within the framework of video games, right? And so when you fire up Fortnite on your platform of choice, you're still presented with fundamentally something that you have to play and i think when it comes to creating further experiences in line with that using various disney uh ip um then that's that that makes sense but when you go back to that quote of play and then all of a sudden that's like the first in this long list of verbs watch shop engage i don't even know what engage really means but it does present this far broader slightly intimidating picture i don't think there's any shock or surprise that when you look at the 
piece of, I guess you'd call it concept art, that was presented alongside the announcement of this deal. It's this weird version of like the Fortnite map. And instead of saying where you drop in, like, let's go to Tilted Towers, it's like, let's go to Marvel City. And like, is Marvel City going to be filled with shops? And are you going to be spending V-Bucks on Iron Man t-shirts? But then all of this is very confusing when a lot of characters from Marvel and Star Wars and various other Disney properties already exist as characters that like people might own within Fortnite. So then you've got this weird thing of like, if you're already playing as Wolverine, I don't know, like, why would you then go to the Marvel shop in downtown Disneyverse and buy a Wolverine t-shirt? And get, like, you get into weird stuff like, I basically, I don't know what the vision for this is. Um, and there's also a part of me that wonders, and I, I don't know if this is unfair speculation, but much like, like, we saw Facebook, or the company formerly known as Facebook, change their entire name and their entire brand identity as they pursued something that still feels pretty, pretty far off. And the reason it still feels pretty far off is because the initial vision that they shared for it didn't make really make any sense to us and didn't really make any sense to consumers and wasn't convincing. But clearly there's something there that, to use a term that I used a lot in last episode of the podcast, the smartest people in the room thought was worth investing millions, perhaps even billions of dollars into. Um, and we're seeing the same thing here. Like, I wonder if some of this is that this is just almost like a form of a layer of protection we don't know where the space is going to go. We don't know how people are going to engage with platforms like Fortnite in the future. We don't know if people are going to start watching movies in, in Fortnite. We don't know if they're just going to keep playing games in Fortnite. But whatever happens, we, as one of the biggest entertainment companies in the world, will be there, and our characters and our worlds and our universes will be front and center in whatever happens in the future. Like, it might just be a form of preemptive self-preservation. Like, for, like, because... The, the the vision for this, as it's presented at the moment, doesn't appear to be particularly clear, clear, especially when, as you said, rightly so, like Disney are still very much in the process of and have spent the last year continuing to um, license out various characters and worlds for various other video game projects. And you look at the deals they've signed with, with EA and with Ubisoft and with Skydance and all these properties, like we're going to be getting Iron Man games and Wolverine games and Star Wars games from other publishers and developers within the world of video games for the next decade or so, to, you know, given the average length of video game development nowadays. So you're not going to be creative. No offense to like Fortnite Festival and the half an hour that I spent playing with that, but like you're not going to create in Fortnite experiences that rival what Insomniac could do with the Wolverine IP, in my opinion, based on the evidence that I've seen thus far. And so you're not creating a particularly engaging or particularly eye-catching place to play and we have no real idea what the runway looks like for an, an, an engaging place to watch or shop or engage, to use now that word again. Um, so uh, all of it just leaves me very confused and makes, again, makes me feel like this is more of a future-proofing um, decision and investment than anything else. Yes. Yeah, it is, it is a bit weird when you are sort of unravel it. But before I say why I think it's, on, why it's a bit weird, I just want to pause momentarily uh, firstly, to say it's Psionics, um, the devs behind. Yeah, it's what I was about to say. Because I said harmonics, and I was like, it can't be harmonics and Psionics, because I would have realized, <laughs> surely I would have said those two words or those two names close together before and realized that they both, you know, ended in similar. I don't, I don't know. I put myself off. 
but um, no that was jim johnston in the chat who who, who uh, put that in there so thank you jim um Thanks. i'm gonna just take a moment to just say hello to some of the people that are joining us live oh, on yeah. youtube um because i haven't done that yet i was waiting for a few more people to come online and they have now so i'd like to give a shout out to magni jim johnston classy cat and dizzy lane hello thank you for joining us on the live as we um talk about this week's news and video games um yeah so the, so the one thing that i suppose is me being like it is me maintaining the cynicism and is saying it's a little interesting or maybe a bit odd their choice of partner to make the next big step into video games with because obviously when we talk about epic we're really just thinking about fortnite right um because mm -hmm. they are so they own sonics they own harmonics um who are the two uh, devs who've worked on the uh additional elements to fortnite that they've done recently but when we think about their as, as you just said then and and, and um, we're alluding to is that they've worked with a lot of bigger companies who are doing amazing things uh, with different types of games um, you know the types of like like spider-man wolverine um star uh, star wars what is the game called i can't remember the new one uh oh uh the one that ubisoft are releasing yeah, um oh god well, what, star wars story game we're, I've got we're, we're, we're not we're not doing well with our names today are we what's you uh it's outlaws outlaws thank you very much yeah when you think of like that kind of game I think you don't necessarily immediately think Epic. So then when they're talking about, or in this press release, they've said that they're going to be releasing new games or they want to put out new games and create an entertainment universe. They're kind of separate in my head because on one half, one half of me says, well, no, if you want to create a bunch of new games, you know, like third person, first person shooters, or you want to do like action games, RPG games, whatever you want to do, you go and speak to other developers who already have pedigree in those areas, right? And there's so yeah. many of them. Um, you wouldn't necessarily look to, well you wouldn't look to epic maybe to do that stuff because epic don't i mean they've they've not released any games in that kind of vein for a long time they're a for, they're fortnite they do fortnite and you know other other elements yeah. in yeah. fortnite so then then i'm thinking okay but if you want to create uh, a commercialized disney product available through video games you could yeah of course you go to fortnite that's your character licensing your skin licensing um fortnite are pushing a bunch of stuff like watching movies in game having experiences in game so that totally makes sense to me but i suppose it's it's the releasing new games part which i'm kind of like intre i'm interested in because it's that is that epic creating new new studios to work on that right like, yeah i don't know unravel and like you're right like maybe the idea that we kind of like look at a story like this and focus too much on the connection perhaps to the Fortnite uh world and kind of like the existing um properties that epic are working within like maybe the focus on that is too strong and actually really this is more a story about disney and epic working together than anything to do with fortnite at all obviously they're going to try and leverage many of the ways that fortnite has been successful yeah it, you're absolutely right it's tough division like you made a very good point there about disney's i think pro approach to seeking out developers or studios or publishers to work with on certain projects really maturing over the years to the point now where like i don't know if um, someone at Disney saw what um, Motive were doing with the Dead Space remake over at EA, and was said that game made um, like made shiny armor look so good. We have to get these guys to do an Iron Man game. It probably wasn't that. I don't think the conversation played out that way. But there is still something about the trajectory of Motive going from the Dead Space remake to an Iron Man game, where you go like, okay, yeah, those. Those are both white dudes that wear shiny metallic suits. So, like, maybe there is something there. Um, it's, at least it's a lot less scattershot than massive uh, companies like Disney have been in the past when it comes to licensing out uh, their IP. But when you apply that to the world of 
Fortnite, and again, this is maybe where I'm getting a little bit too caught up on the Fortnite element of it, like, one of the things that Fortnite Festival reminded me of, for example, is that, like, sure, once you get into the rhythm elements of those games, you can see some of Harmonix's DNA there for as many ways, actually, for as few ways as there are to do, like, a, a, a lane with notes coming at you, like, if <laughs> they did it, like, but everything around that game still shocked me with how Fortnite it was in that I was still kind of like in a Fortnite-style lobby, and I still dropped in as my Fortnite character, and I still ran in the, in like, in the, I, I was still there in Unreal Engine and still running over, and so there were all these hooks that were just ridiculous, like, were, were surprisingly Fortnite-y to me in the time it took me from, to get from opening Fortnite to actually having notes coming down the highway at me. Um that kind of like creates a really weird juxtaposition there that, that, that like, I can't see working in the same way that it works when you like video games are made for ground up wholesale by other developers. So I, I don't know what Epic do to kind of separate the Fortnite stigma from some of these other games and some of these other experiences that they hope to make. Like could you're, you're right. Like, could that be other teams? There's definitely enough money here and $1.5 billion can, can go a lot of different ways, but then, that just seems even stranger to me, the idea of like Epic taking $1.5 billion of investment and using it to create a sub-team that make video games exclusively based on Disney uh, like uh, like licenses and property. Like That doesn't make any sense to me. And every time I read more quotes, it makes less and less sense to me. Like, without, like here's another one. Uh, this um, take to, If I took a quote from Tim Sweeney this time on the Epic side, now we're collaborating on something entirely new to build a persistent, open, and interoperable ecosystem that will bring together the Disney and Fortnite communities. Sometimes I see quotes like that, and I see words that not not I see a few things. I see words like persistent, open, and interoperable, which are so open-ended they can mean so many different things that they really end up meaning nothing. Yeah. And I see something else that is a really re not a red flag for me, but just a very interesting thing, which is entirely new which again suggests that what they've got this vision for isn't something that's grounded in anything that really exists or has been proved uh, to be a successful yet at the moment, which is why, that, to go back to the point I've like, been very poorly making for the past few minutes, maybe that's the problem we've got, is we're sitting here and we're looking at Fortnite and we're looking at the ways that Epic have interacted with other brands and other partners in the past, and like maybe this is we can't see the vision for this because it's actually going to operate on a different plane. Wow, yeah, that's interesting. And as you were saying that image, made me think they're going to make a virtual Disneyland, but it's going to be. I mean, the the concept art looks like a virtual Disneyland. Like maybe maybe Epic are making a an entirely new platform akin to Fortnite, but not Fortnite. That also is built in Unreal Engine Five. That is, you know, a Disney launcher, and like that maybe like PlayStation Fives and Nintendo Switches and PCs in the future have a Disney app that opens up and runs in you runs natively in UE5 and rather than being you know starting life as a shooter as Fortnite did and expanding into everything else is from the word go this kind of thing where like it's this very custom open-ended ecosystem where players are designed to you know to maybe not jump out of a bus this time but find their way into these different real virtual spaces and uh, form different communities and watch things together and buy things together and there are games within that like as soon as you start to look at this as something that is completely separate to Fortnite but look is Disney looking at what Epic did with Fortnite and wanting their own Fortnite 
then you're like, huh, maybe that's where this could head. Yes. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that is, that to me makes the most sense. And it covers everything they've said as well. But hey, it remains to be seen. Um, just as a last little thing on this, um, we should just mention some of the other IP that Disney own um, that we haven't maybe mentioned yet because the game and all of these have been games to be have games associated with associated with the mark on talk uh except for one i think you would have played all of these except for one no i think you would have played that as well uh you're gonna have to tell me right so have you played an avp game i i played an avp game i didn't play the one that people uh have a lot of nostalgia for i played the one that was on the 316 about 2007 2008 that wasn't particularly it still had the ambition to have like a human campaign an alien campaign um but i don't know if they did a maybe they did do a predator campaign i don't know and like different factions for multiplayer it was ambitious but it was bad uh i know you've played an alien game um uh, you just you just asked me that no but an a like a stat like a alien isolation i was thinking it was like alien is one thing oh i see predator as well. and, and predator predator we had um what was it hunting grounds a few years ago yep uh, Avatar. I'm pretty sure you played the most. You played Avatar, didn't you? I remember. You I have played that. Avatar: Frontiers of Pandora. I've not played Avatar, the official video game of the movie, but Independence um, have Day. Have you played Independence Day? Negative. I'm I have sure not. that I played that a really crappy movie tie-in version of that back in the day when it came out. Um, I could totally believe that. <laughs> did you ever play Die Hard? I didn't. It was. I, I remember Die Hard trilogy is a thing that I've got in my head, and I don't know that, why. But no, exactly. I've, I've, no, I've never. Yeah, I've never played a Die Hard game. Die Hard 1 in Die Hard Trilogy was absolutely amazing. It had like destructive scenery and you'd go up floor by floor in the office block just with like machine gun. And I swear the draw distance was about three feet. <laughs> like you couldn't see anything beyond uh, like the, your immediate vicinity, which was fun. Uh, Planet of the Apes has obviously had games before. I don't think I've played a Planet of the Apes game though. You know what? I remember playing a, I don't know why, I remember having a Planet of the Apes game on PS1. I couldn't tell you if it had a subtitle or what it was attached to. But I remember not getting very far in it because I I found it uh, imperceptible. Uh, there was a Planet of the Apes game that I think might have been a sort of supermassive games inspired like cinematic narrative uh, adventure game on the PS4 a handful of years ago. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. Did they ever make in like a an action centric Planet of the Apes game to tie in with that last round of? Well, I was going to say that trilogy, but it I might. Like I think they did. Cons- I feel like I thought like there was. I I don't. I didn't play it. Um, so the um, the one I was thinking of. I'm guessing if this is good, it had a it did have a PlayStation release. Was just called Planet of the Apes, um, and there was uh, Planet of the Apes: Last Frontier. That was the um, how how does Wikipedia describe it? It doesn't even really say. But that was the that was the interactive fiction is is the right. genre that Wikipedia puts in. They came on the PS4 and later the Xbox One at around 2017. I'm not sure how much how many how much else there's been. I know that um so and one other IP I've got listed here that Disney owned that we haven't mentioned is Kingsman, which I don't believe there's been oh, yeah. a Kingsman game. Hey, that could be that could be half decent, you know. Maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, do you know what I, I I'm probably not the right person to ask on Kingsman because like I've gone a bit sour on that whole both. Okay. Uh, ironically now both Kai Ritchie films and Matthew Vaughan films have just gone a bit sour on the whole kind of like anything starring like a British white guy doing a slightly posh accent and killing people <laughs> I'm like I, I, I feel like I've had my fill so I, I ran out of steam on the Kingsman films um, and then 
the recent Matthew Vaughn film uh, Argyle. Yeah. I watched the trailers and all that stuff. Uh, that does absolutely nothing for me whatsoever. Oh, I think that looks great. I really wanted to see it, and it's gonna. It's, the reviews are awful. I, I I looked at that and I was just like, this is everything. This is all the reasons I stopped watching the Kingsman films <laughs> rolled into one. And now Guy Ritchie, I know he's made a number of different films uh, recently, but like, um, I think I've been on the record as as not liking The Gentleman as many as much as many people did. There's a series um, coming out of The Gentleman this year, I believe. Yeah, and then I so I, I didn't watch that Operation Fortune thing because it looked like again more of that thing. And then there was a trailer for this new film, The Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. And again, I watched that trailer. And I watched Henry Cavill walking around being posh, but also violent. I was like, I'm just done. I'm done. <laughs> I'm over it. I'm over it. Like, Fair enough. Fuck it. Yeah, I'm done. Like, seriously, well, like, uh, ma make another Aladdin. Make another King Arthur film. Well, just do something different, guy. Get ready for a lot more of everything, Disney, because that's what you're going to get with, uh, yeah. with Epic Games. Um. Anyway. I can live with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's move on. Uh to some other fun stuff where we get to talk about some um some housekeeping style stuff uh and touch on a few other things like what we've been playing um for the last week but first of all before we talk about that i'm just going to give everyone a quick reminder of the games that are coming out this month um we've done that we have but i'm gonna i'm gonna update it i'm gonna give people a little update what they can expect but it's, just, but it's the same games yeah but this is we're now two weeks in so i'm just gonna remind people of the last two weeks of games do you know what we do do you know what we do? No, you can absolutely do that if you want to. It just took me by surprise. I thought I thought like doing it halfway through the month might be a good shout because it's like you get one at the beginning of the month, one halfway through the month in case you've forgotten that there's games coming out. Anyway, still to come yeah. this month in February, you've got Tomb Raider, <laughs> Tomb Raider 1 to 3 Remastered coming out tomorrow. Skull and Bones is coming on the 16th. Mario versus Donkey Kong also on the 16th. Pacific Drive on the 22nd. The Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons remake is coming on the 28th. And Final Fantasy VII Rebirth will be here Feb 29th. And Jamie has actually been able to play a little bit of it on the demo already. So maybe we can delve into that in a minute. Um, but first of all, Jamie, before we do that, before we find out about Rebirth, uh, I just want to take this yeah. opportunity. Now that you've stopped laughing at me for recapping the games that are coming yeah, sorry. out in February. I shouldn't have laughed. That's <laughs> what, that wasn't fair of me. I'm going to give a shout out to some uh, some epic people. See what I did there? Epic. We're talking about epic. And these people are epic. See what yes. I did? And they are, of course, our patrons who have gone over to patreon.com forward slash super show um, and have joined up and given us a little bit of our hard their hard-earned cash to sign up to our Discord, uh, which you can do for $2.00. Um, there's also some other uh, tiers that you can join for there. There's some other content uh, behind different tiers. I think $5 and up is where you get um, access to extra content. Um, but right now, I would like to give a shout out to some of those awesome people. There are some names that you'll be seeing on screen right at the moment. And I would also like to read some out. Uh, so I'm going to give a shout out to Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Brimstone, Ice Not Rock Salt, Jesper Camden Nielsen, Pastors Guild, and the big dogs, the members of the board, is Brett Z, a.k.a. Shellshock, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Reed, Manuel Guerrero, and Peaswad. So thank you all to you so much for, for I was going to say sponsoring us, for supporting sponsoring. us week in and week out, keeping the lights. You haven't signed me up for a half marathon secretly or something, are uh, you, Jay-Z? No, thank goodness. I'm, um, I'm definitely not going to uh, be doing a half marathon anytime soon, especially not after the epic dinner that I had today, if I keep that up. Ah, see, Epic Games again. Once they're getting their 
the tentacles into everything. Now Gen Z's dinner has received investment. It's like Taylor Swift. They're going to they're try and own the word epic. And every time I say epic, they're, I'm going to have to send them some money through uh, the game store. No, you, we, it's either that or you get, yeah, you're going to get a cease and desist every time and being like, actually, I think you'll find we, we own the word epic. What was it Taylor Swift tried to, she tried to um, copyright something like that? No, I'm thinking of Paris Hilton. Does it, she tried to do That's Hot? Back oh, I don't know. She tried to that's copyright hot. That's Hot. And I think that Taylor feels Swift, like, a, it feels very hard to do. I think Taylor it's Swift did, did not shake it off. She did something like that. There was some sort of weird thing where it was a, a common phrase that she tried to copyright and they said no. Yeah. Do you remember the, to, to do a more YouTube-centric one when there was the uh, the fallout around the Fine Brothers and whether or not they could like trademark React or yes. uh, or tra even the act of reacting? Um, I, I forget how deep that went. But if yeah, they'd have weird. won, they would be absolutely rolling in it now. Yeah, and now it's like, who are they? Now the only time I remember who the Fine Brothers are is every now and then I'll see like a YouTube short or a TikTok of one of the kids and teenagers who used to be on their content who have now grown up and are slagging them off. Yeah, pretty much. And it's, it's very fun. It's fun. I like React content. I do watch it sometimes, but I would I don't want to make it. I've never I've never felt the need to be like to react to anything. I don't know. I don't think Yeah. I I mean, we've been a part of we've done live watch longs and I guess I have also watched back live watch longs but specifically within the gaming space. And it's often things that I want to watch twice. And it's almost like a little, a little je ne sais quoi, a little extra something on top, having someone else like going crazy at the sides of your screen. Um, especially if, again, if it's people you know or people you like or, or, or respect or whatever it is. So I've, I've, I've done that kind of thing. But I, I, I still remember back in the days where, and this is really a throwback, so shout out to anyone who knows what I'm talking about here. But back in the days when YouTube channels like, all-time movies were a thing and i remember having to sit down in front of a green screen and watch the deadpool trailer no i can't remember i i, I had to do all kinds of stuff that you was, were a reactor jamie there, there was the, i've had some reactions in the past I've, i feel like so i feel like if you we, when we do our watch-alongs i feel like that's not a reaction that's not reaction that's that's almost like commentary because it's as you as you hear stuff and see stuff you're commenting. React to me is where you watch something to enjoy it a bit more because someone else you're watching and like because you watch sometimes watch someone listen to a great song for the first time, and you know the song right, but you get to watch them enjoy it and you're like oh yeah no, okay we, cool. we we definitely add a little bit more to the, you know, those streams and those broadcasts and showcase and stuff than the people who green screen themselves into the very bottom corner of like again TikToks or YouTube Shorts. And just point at above them as they're like, hey, listen up, this is important. They don't say anything, they don't add anything, they just point and maybe they nod in agreement every time. So it's yeah. like you They're not, not even they're not even watching. No, so you haven't done anything. You nodded. No, we're yeah, we're not doing that anytime soon. But there we go. Um but I do want to get a reaction from you, Jamie. So I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna have to put all that to bed because I want a I want a reaction from you about anything that that you've been playing or watching in the last week, and I want you to give oh. me. But I want you to tell me your reactions without showing me and pointing to it on the screen at the same time. Yeah, um, enjoy. This is a bit of a bummer of a segment as well because I wish I was coming into this more prepared to give more reactions, longer reactions, more detailed reactions, more visceral reactions. Because this was going to be the week, or at least going into the weekend, this was certainly going to be the the episode of the podcast where I was expecting to talk at length 
both about Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which of course uh, they dropped a demo for following the uh, exclusive uh, slot uh, in state, uh, exclusive state of play that it got all to itself part last week. But this was also the week of the open beta of the game that everyone loves to forget is actually coming out in three days' time, unless you've spent more on it. Skull and Bones! Um, and I, I, can, I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I'll say it anyway. I played Skull and Bones over a year ago at this point in some other kind of, like, capacity. And um, <laughs> if I start with Skull and Bones, let me just say I was stunned by how outrageously similar what I played this past weekend was to what I played well over a year ago um uh and part of me wonders if that's because not only have some of those assets and in and sequences and cutscenes and tutorials and you know bits and pieces been there for that past year but maybe they'd have been there for multiple other years before that and and so they've just kind of been left because so many other pieces of the game needed to be worked on um I don't, I don't, I don't think that Skull and Bones is at, is going to come out and be a the, the kind of the laughing stock of the game industry. I don't even think it's going to get as much sort of negative or derisory attention as something like Suicide Squad did. But I think that's simply because so so few people actually care about Skull and Bones at this point, as such a tiny percentage of those people will spend the sixty, seventy pounds, whatever it is that uh, that Ubisoft are trying to charge for this game. I want to say outright now that to precede anything that I say that follows this, I don't think Skull and Bones is worth almost any volume of money. And I, I genuinely mean that. Like if Skull and Bones, if Ubisoft put out a a, a release state, like a statement this uh, this evening in the aftermath of this podcast, saying we fucked up, it's actually not quadruple A, and Skull and Bones is going free to play from launch from day one on February sixteenth. I'd still um and ah about whether or not I could be bothered to re-download Skull and Really? Bones. Yeah. I I suppose there was one thing that was uh, I was still hanging my hope on with Skull and Bones was that I actually really enjoyed Black Flag. Um, Me too. And I was I was kind of thinking that, yeah, okay, fair enough. They've had a bunch of problems with the development of this game, but is that because it's so big and there's so much going on and they've just had like buggy problems with it and they're, and they're, you know, it's, it, and they're trying to fix stuff and it's just taken a long time. But actually when you boil down what the game is it's it's a solid updated like black flag but a multiplayer rather than a, a single player campaign i was kind of hoping that would be the case so i'm guessing from what you've said that is not the case um or it doesn't yeah feel anyway I, so, yeah okay oh, that's kind of that's kind of makes me a bit I'm, sad i was ho- because because you be not marketing a game and or doing that badly doesn't mean anything these days because they don't market anything really? except for avatar apparently so um <laughs> Yeah, apparently that actually sold millions of copies. Well, what I'm going to say next then might be uniquely disappointing to... Actually, it's not going to be uniquely disappointing to you, Josie, because I know a lot of people shared that sentiment of sort of general positivity or optimism off the back of the qualities of Black Flag, that even if just the fundamentals could be maintained and we just got another excuse to go sailing around on Ubisoft salty seas, then we'd have fun. And I want to be careful here because I, I want to, by admitting that I'm coming to you directly from a bubble in which I have not spoken to anyone else that has played uh, Skull and Bones. I have not looked at the online chatter around Skull and Bones. There may well be a thriving subreddit for Skull and Bones. Skull and Bones could be primed to become the next Helldivers 2 and crash every server that Ubisoft have. I don't know. Like, I just don't know. So I could have the completely wrong read on this relative to what other people think, so just bear that in mind. But my first feeling 
um, when I launch Skull and Bones, which in the beta, I don't know about the final game, but in the beta starts with an abilities, if you will, where you start with a, a fully decked out and populated ship uh, prior to a disaster that then sees you shipwrecked, washed up on shore, and having to start again from basically one of those tiny little fishing boats. Um, the fish, these, the fishing, <laughs> the, the moment to moment gameplay, sailing around and engaging in combat for whatever reason, to my memory, which may be, you know, you could be roast into glasses going on here, felt like a regression from Black Flag. Wow, okay. Like, the, what I loved about Black Flag and what I think felt like kind of unique about it at the time in terms of its approach to naval combat was there was a heft to Black Flag. Yeah. Um, there, there's something unique about, um, and some, Sea of Thieves has nailed this as well over the years, about like, you know, that kind of that, that lack of one-to-one -one response type. We all know the kind of the, the, the feeling or the idea of the feeling of like swinging the, um, the wheel as, as, as fast as you can and it, 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 spinning multiple times over, but still knowing you've got this massive, extremely heavy ship that's kind of got to really slowly arch its way around the turn you're making. And the, the, there's a kind of a very mechanical and manual and hands-on feel to the way a lot of the weaponry works because cannons need to be reloaded by hand and need to be fired individually and all these kind of things. And like, there's a very deliberate element to the way that pirate ships traverse and engage in warfare. I don't know, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, that I think has been streamlined here because obviously combat whether it's against uh, whether it's PVE or PVP is such a fundamental part of um, Skull and Bones. It feels like at some point they said to themselves, "We need to make this experience slightly more arcadey because there's so much of this that actually sailing around a fucking uh, a boat that feels like it weighs 15 tons and you know with a turning radius like of a, a, you know an 18 wheeler or whatever whatever the fuck you know the metaphors you want to use." Um, Clearly, at some point, they were worried that wouldn't feel fun or that that would grow old. And so they kind of reined it all back in to make something that almost feels like the boats are kind of like surfing or sliding over the top of the right. water to a certain extent. Um, and to make some of the, the, the you know, the cannon, the, the battles themselves and kind of the, the, kind of the, the weaponry you're using almost feel like, again, I didn't get to the point where I had like different kind of I only played the, the, with the more advanced weaponry and the more advanced ship once in that uh, abilities that I mentioned earlier. Um, but it kind of almost felt like closer to third-person shooter mechanics than the more than anything, and that I was holding L2, I was making sure my curse was in the right place, and I was just um, jamming R2 as quickly as I could to keep firing and like oh, right. a lot of the specifics. And so, yeah, like, it just kind of felt like a bit of a bummer. I think there could be something to this idea of really starting from scratch, like... Um, like, as I said, you, you, you're you in a shipwreck and your character kind of wakes up. There's a little bit of character customization because you do see your character who, you know, the player character, both physically represented on the boat, but you also, um, you rock up at various outposts and sort of like places that you can, uh, like, like, you know, sink up your boat and then you're on foot and going around to kind of like blacksmiths and, and the people who make the boats and people who are, you know, quest givers and all these kinds of things, bounty boards, all the kind of shit you'd expect. You're going to on foot and then going back to your boat. Um, but all of that stuff looks really shit. Uh, like they've made the decision to uh, have, the, have, have the the protagonist or the player character be a silent character, which leads to these very strange cutscenes where, for example, very, very early on, you kind of rock up at this pirate outpost where you, you know, one of your allies is kind of telling you, hey, like you're a bit of an outcast around here. Like People are going to be 
like staring you down and giving you side eyes and stuff like that and your character's kind of like it's it just looks very out of place doing these kind of like really exaggerated animations as though to say like they're unshow them processing information or understanding things or like but never actually saying anything the, the visuals are really really rather unpleasant at times that's okay. uh, especially especially during those away from the sea kind of it has a lot of the hallmarks of a game that was in development for an incredibly long amount of time um, that actually leads in really nicely to a question that we've had come in uh, a five pound super chat coming in from Xander GTI shout out to you Xander thank you so much for the super chat um, who says uh, um, not sure if you've spoken on this but what's your take on Ubisoft's labelling this as a quadruple A and I think you for me there by saying it just, some of it just looks really shit so, uh, and silent cutscenes or your, where your character's silent uh, quadruple A I think I think that they're probably basing their quadruple A argument off on different criteria to that which a lot of people will rank it on. I think they probably look at it as a quadruple A value proposition because one thing that there probably is in this game, and I, I obviously haven't been able to see that through an open beta alone, is content. Again, if you enjoy playing Skull and Bones and you want to build out your ship or your crew uh, to the fullest extent and you want to tackle every quest and every side quest and uh, start engaging in some of the almost MMO-inspired PvP action that does exist out there. I never engaged in any of it myself. Then I'm sure there is a there are a lot of hours that could be dropped into this game. And as a value proposition, Eve was probably quite comfortable calling it quadruple A. But if you think quadruple A is also indicative of, for example, the level of polish something has, a level of visual quality, doesn't there's the no, the, the no simple, um oh. Not when you're not when you're asking the CEO of a company who is being forced to release a game because they might get sued by like the fucking Singapore government if they don't or like like that is not the person to take to you know who's to take a word to take at face value when it comes to the quality of the product that he is directly like financially benefits from the sales of. Of course, it's called AAA if you ask Eve Gimo. Short is for me is okay. So we've talked about this before, and it does get complicated when we talk about like double AAA. You know, like a, a B-rated game, double A game sort of thing, and we, and we sort of say, okay, this game feels like this, this game feels like that, and it can get quite convoluted, it can get quite difficult. Um, but for me, I would say it's something akin to the uh, Michelin star rating system with restaurants uh, with food, right? Okay. You, when you go and you get a three-star Michelin meal, you are expecting the best quality, and you're expecting to be like blown away. You are not, and but and but just saying because you said about content there, like the amount of content in this game may be filled with content. But if I went up to a, if I went to a Michelin three star restaurant and it was like going to a pub where they just gave me a massive plate of food, I, I wouldn't necessarily say okay, it might not be the best quality, but they've given me loads of it. Therefore, it's it's quadruple A in my mind. Quadruple A should be like, is no bugs, top quality, top polish. Loads of content. I think like any. Would you ever? Would you bet? Yeah, game quadruple A, like that you could. Think oh of? no! I, like I, I think quad, quadruple A again to do a slightly different analogy. Use restaurants reminds me of hotels. Like quadruple A reminds me of when someone in the hotel world decided that five stars weren't enough, so that they need to start giving some hotels six stars, <laughs> and then six star, stars weren't enough. So one hotel in Dubai, I think, has a seven. It's like you created like quadruple A was created by people who wanted to tell the world that they had the most AAA-ass AAA game imaginable. 
In reality, it doesn't mean anything. So you know, the thing, that, the, thing that, the only thing I'd say about your analogy or what you just said back then about like the different meals is that I think, and there's some of this goes back to even to, you know conversations that we've had before. Do you remember conversation about Dave the diver and independent developers and yeah. stuff? It gets messy. I understand that, but if if the only thing that distinguished whether or not a game was AAA or quadruple A was quality of the finished product, then that suggests that, for example, no, no, not just. Not just, but that's definitely a part of it. Well, then, when you get served food at a Michelin restaurant, you don't ask how many chefs worked on that individual plate. No, so yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It's, no, it's, so what I, what I'm saying is, in your analogy, surely a team of three people, if they worked for a hundred years, could eventually make a quadruple A game. And I personally don't think that's the case. I think oh, quadruple A has to do with. I think quadruple A envelops ideas like headcount and develops ideas like budget uh, in a big way. And again, uh, yeah. that's why that's that's absolutely no small part why Eve Gimode certainly thinks that um, Skull and Bones is quadruple A because he knows how much they fucking spent on it, and I can guarantee you it was over nine figures. I I suppose what I'd say is I don't think any Michelin-starred restaurants are out there with just one chef. <laughs> like I think they've got a pretty packed kitchen of chefs like preparing each different thing. Um, Agreed, but like. I don't know. You know, you know what I'm getting at. No, no, I've got, of course. I, I think it comes back to this point of we need almost like an independent body like Michelin to actually be the ones to decide whether a game is AAA, whether it's quadruple A. Like you can't just be going. You can't be Eve going out there just labeling it out because you spent so much money on it that you're like, it's better. Like, this is better. It's like a dad. It's like an angry dad who's like, you better have a bloody good time because it's cost me a fortune. But he can call it that because it doesn't mean anything. Like but again, it should. It should be. ADN, AA, and AAA, and quadruple A didn't start because an organization like Michelin defined them as something. They, it started because someone at some point in the last 30 years, I'm guessing, decided, hey, I'm going to promote our game by describing it as AAA. And people are going to vaguely know what I mean when I say that. Yeah. And then well, they got used enough that it became a term to denote like the size or the ambition or the budget or the quality of a game. And at some point, when some. It, goes back to the social network thing that we talked about last episode at some point someone said you know triple a isn't cool do you know what's cool cool quadruple a and yeah. then a term that doesn't mean anything then you know gets uh, you know, absorbed like taken over by another term that means even less very true well uh, it, no it is it is it's a shame and i know that they're only pushing quadruple a really because they want to put a nice hefty price tag on this i think it's like 70 quid isn't it it's going to be a 70 pound game so i think it's it's full price yeah yeah um, there were I I, th I felt like there were, for my money of my taste and for the amount of things that we've all got to play right now, um, there were very few redeeming qualities of, uh, about Skull and Bones. Um, very few places that you could look at and say this was time well spent or this was money well spent. I thought visually it was underwhelming. The writing was underwhelming. The like the kind of the, the frustrating like lack of continuity. Where again I'm not expecting everything to be like. Sea of Thieves, and I'm not expecting there to be that much Assassin's Creed DNA, for example. But, like, some people are going to be upset about the fact that, you know, you, you, you might have a big ship, a massive ship, with 30 members of crew, and, like, in Black Flag, if you weren't at the helm, you could walk around, and you could see different people doing different things, and you could climb up the mast, and you could get to the, the, the little lookout tower. Like, you can't do any of that in this game. Like, you, you, you walked up you walk across this like shoddy looking beach you get to the edge of the beach you hold square to embark and then you you know it fades to black and when it fades back up you're at the helm of the the boat and that's the only place you can ever be and like uh, there are some like it sucks 
Yeah, there were some interesting ideas. Like the first time you set off in this little dinghy boat that only has you and two other people on it, and you hold down L2 and you realize that because it's got no cannons, you have a fucking sharp stick that you have <laughs> to fight off sharks with. And you're like, okay, like there might be something to, like if they're going, if they're pulling back that far in terms of where you start, then maybe the journey of getting to these massive, you know, ships with tens of cannons on each side and all this kind of stuff might be quite a fun journey. But then I rocked up at the first outpost, and again, I saw, like, I, I started to see kind of like the, the, the roadmap it was laying out in front of me for upgrading some of my, the components of my boat and the boat itself. And, um, and I was like, I'm, I just don't care for this at all. Right. There are so, like, in, there are so many other games that one could be playing. Um, I think the thing to me that really jumps out from what you've said that what the, it puts me off the most is, um, is the way that you described. Uh, when you get to first try out the sort of fully tricked out ship and the fact that it doesn't feel good, it feels arcadey. When obviously, you know, whenever we do that, the, the time I think about doing that most is in uh, racing games, right? So even like Need for Speed games like that, they give you the amazing car with the NOS boost and all of that right at the beginning of the game before you crash it right off and yeah. right back to st stage one. And when you ro drive that insane car at the beginning and then get put back into the crap car, it makes you want to, make your way through the game because of how good it felt of driving the super fast car the fact that you were saying it doesn't even feel good piloting the big ship because in your memory like i remember the same as you like black flag was chunky and it felt like you had to like it didn't feel arcadey didn't feel like you could just throw the yep. ships around it felt like you actually had to think about positioning and tactics and and how you're going to come alongside a ship and and the, it, yeah the heft and the weight was a really integral part of that so the fact that yep. maybe they've taken a lot of that out um does yeah does doesn't bode well. Doesn't sound good. So um, yeah, we we'll have to we we'll have to wait. It's a, it sucks. It's a real shame. Like I played some Black Flag last year, and again, maybe some people uh, will try Skull and Bones and and tell me I'm I'm, I'm tripping, and that they think actually it's a really nice kind of like fairly one to one recreation of what we all fell in love with back in the day. But I don't think it is. And again, you can go black, you can go back, and you can play Assassin's Creed Black Flag, a game that has great naval combat and great you know exploration, all that stuff. But you can still do shit like if you want to like start boarding an enemy boat and actually play out the combat that takes place on the other like all these things that aren't a part of Skull and Bones. And admittedly, it's just because it's not what they're going for. I'm not trying to criticize Skull and Bones for not being another game, um, but I just don't think it does um, even some of the fundamentals it is shooting for particularly well. So um, yeah, uh, be interesting interesting to see how much or I guess how little noise that makes um, in a couple of days. Um, but you wouldn't know, for example, that people who bought the expensive version of that game are going to be playing it inside the next 24 hours just based on buzz, social media. You wouldn't know that that was happening. Um, and yeah, uh, that, that's telling. Um, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, though, uh, is a... Yeah. I have a lot less to say about that because when I was playing it, I was just reminded, unsurprisingly, of a lot of my experience playing Final Fantasy VII Remake, which, you know, I stuck with, um, and, I, and I played through to, in its entirety, but I didn't always have an amazing time. I think the thing that kept me engaged in Final Fantasy VII Remake was its combat system, which, you know, that kind of unique blend of your real-time combat with a slightly more slowed-down take on the, the, the turn-based um, combat that was present in the, uh, the original. I thought that blend and kind of the balance they struck there between you know, an ode to the you know, the OG uh, FF7, but something far more modern. Um, really struck a nice chord with me, and that is all still like present and accounted for in Rebirth. 
Um, it and and I, I watched the state of play, um, and it looks, you know, bigger and better and more elaborate and more uh, diverse than um, in a number of different ways. It, it, I I don't know that it will do enough to to counter some of my like the fundamental complaints and issues with Final Fantasy VII Remake, a lot of which were. Uh, based in sort of like narrative and moment-to-moment writing, how it's really just not for me. I didn't particularly gel with it. That stuff doesn't seem like it's going to change. Um, but I think this will still be a a big step in the right direction for Final Fantasy VII fans who are going to get a lot more of what worked about Final Fantasy VII Remake, but also a lot more of what they wanted from what they loved and, and, and remember so fondly from the original game. The only thing I will just say quickly is I think they picked a uh, slightly odd chunk of the game to present on its own for the sake of a demo well i think it makes sense narratively because it is essentially a flashback that explores some of his uh, cloud's time um when he was younger and a slightly um uh, slightly earlier in his time as a, as a soldier when he was working and and sort of getting to know sephiroth um and i think that's that's narratively quite interesting um it also leads to some slightly odd pacing situations where there's a a, a very quick combat situation that you're thrown into very early on that is so quick that it doesn't actually bother to tutorialize it. So right. it's this very odd feeling thing that ends very quickly. There's a fair amount of cutscenes, which again, you can't, I guess, accuse them of that being misrepresented for the final game because the final game will have a lot of that too. So that's fair enough. But then you uh, and, uh, eventually get to this uh, the, this town um, that, that, that Cloud grew up in and, and, and Tifa as well. And it's kind of like, 30 or so minutes depending on how deep you go of exploration and talking to npcs um and like weird things where like there's a kind of the, the scenes taking place in in the present day and in the past at the same time so clouds re- recalling his experiences but the people who he's with in the present day are questioning him and there are these weird moments for example where you'll go you you go into tifa's house and tifa's like you went into my house and if you say yes then cloud goes into his house and he goes all the way up to like you could open up a wardrobe and he was like, you went through my stuff and Cloud's like, yeah, I did. And then you're wearing my pants. Well, he stops you wearing her clothes, but he does sit at her piano and start playing. It, it, so it's strange, but then you look at, for example, um, the system that they've implemented for playing the piano, which is somewhat reminiscent of what it's like to play the guitar in the last part two, right. except a lot more elaborate and more of a rhythm game. Um, and you're like, if this is kind of the weird level of detail they're going to go to to justify the existence of all these weird mini games and all these weird sort of cut off like or addendums to the you know the primary mechanics then this this could be a very weird and lengthy and as i said earlier i guess diverse is a potentially a, a charitable but otherwise fair word um game but i think people are going to i think people are going to really go wild for this um in, in, in a lot of the ways that you'd expect. Um, I, I re-listened to some of the spoiler cast that Chris and I recorded for uh, Remake back in uh, 2020, coming up on four years ago. And one of us, I think Chris points out in that spoiler cast that GameSpot gave Remake a 10 out of 10, and I'd forgotten that. Mm. Um, uh, I, I So I think I can't be too surprised if in a couple of weeks' time, the sort of the furore that we saw around the release of that game kind of comes back up again and you know all the final fantasy 7 fans chris probably included get a get a hard on and and everyone's happy um yeah. and i'll just sure, to, sure they will. i'll just i'll just continue to sit there saying these are some of those some of the most bizarre hollow like poorly written 
unlikable, unrelatable characters I've ever <laughs> experienced in my life. And I, and, and Cloud could drop dead right now. <laughs> and I like how how one of the, I won't say for the sake of spoilers, but how one of these characters' deaths is meant to be, meant to be one of the most significant gaming story moments in RPG history is beyond me because they all talk to each other like they're aliens. Um, but that's just me. Well, there you go. Um, is that are you, is that it? Are you done? Um, do you know what, Josie? I'm done. Do you want, here's a little because I probably pissed some people off with that last bit. So why, I'll, I'll end by pissing off people uh, people a little bit more. I completed Suicide Squad. I've played like three or four hours of the End Game. That game is totally fine. It's sometimes even good. Yeah, yeah shoot me. Wow. Okay. You, tell, I want to hear more about tell, Suicide that, Squad. I think maybe I, don't, I actually don't want to bore people. I just right. think that game is that game has a, has a lot of problems, and they've all been you know talked about to death at this point. I just think that it does have some redeemable qualities that I totally understand why some people didn't have the time or patience uh, to sit through and not see because uh, some people like probably did see them and still didn't care for them. But I, I think that game's totally fine. Um, but wait for it to be free or on sale. But in the meantime. I think that we better move on and talk about a game that uh, the internet has decided it is okay and socially acceptable <laughs> to like. Um, yeah, so I, it's, I suppose this is apt because we've gone from a, four, a, a quadruple star game to a three star game, and now we, I guess we're going to talk about a two star game. So I suppose that that works quite nice. Double A, my Double favorite a. battery as well. So Double A, uh, yeah, Hell Divers Two. I've been playing Hell Divers Two this week, and I so, said, okay, first of all. Uh, I suppose I have to talk about the elephant in the room. It did not have a great launch. Um, they had a couple of issues on the uh, day one, which was mainly around match uh, public matchmaking, which I got stung by massively. So I could not play uh, any games with other people for the first like three days. Um, Man, it was like literally non-existent. Killer. And I, I'd, I'd watched a couple of videos, and people would say like, "Can you play this game on your own? You know, is this single player worthy?" And I know that the um uh the devs were saying hey you can still play this with friends like you could the the um private matchmaking and stuff and like linking up with your mates was fine like that was working fine um but for me uh, going in solo was actually an enjoyable experience i i didn't have a problem with it and i think it's the way and the reason being that the way that it introduces you to like the difficulty levels in that game it's as you would imagine it has like um you know it has like uh easy I can't remember the exact levels. It's got like four levels to get you up to. There's, I think it's one below easy, right? Like there is, kiosk, yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah, it's like newcomer or fun time. Or... Then you've got like, uh, I think you've then got easy, challenging, medium, hard, and then like even harder, I think. So maybe like six or seven difficulties. But it's okay. but it, it obviously unlocks them as you go. So when you first start playing on your own, playing on the bug planets, on the easy, you know, super easy, easy, and then like challenge mode was fine. And I was having mm -hmm. quite a good time with it. It would have been better with other people. Um, but there is so much to love about Helldivers 2, man. Like, it is... As someone who... I think Starship Troopers came out when I was 12, and I went to see it three times at the cinema. Absolutely loved it. Was like, oh, this is so much fun. Like, this is such a cool movie. Um, and it... Yeah, and this is, this is that. And and it's very simple. It's very simple. It is a, you know, it's a swarm shooter. Uh, but you're supposed to be playing with, like, with mates or with other people. It's not designed to be played solo, but you can play it solo. But the way that they've like constructed the war map, where you've got like Super Earth is right in the middle, and you've got these encroaching alien factions which are trying, which are getting closer to you, and as a collective, you have to like do missions to push them back and to take sectors to push them further back to unlock new planets that you can get to. I love that. I love the fact that you, 
you have something in like like raiding and doing different missions even if you're repeating um types of missions like um some of the types of missions aren't are you know they're a little bit um simplistic i suppose like get to a certain place and rescue some crew but you get there and it's like three hangers and you've got to run and push a button run and push a button and you release people just to get them from one building to another while you're defending them from bugs for example Th these are simplistic things but the joy of that game are calling in airstrikes calling in like machine guns to come and help you sentry turrets giant bugs attacking you and then you have the other um the other enemy type which is these robots like these crazy ai robots which drop come in on drop ships and it's a completely different type of fight because they're so much faster like they're they're so they seem so much more dangerous but man this game is wicked and when i then got into playing uh, matching with um public so i was playing <laughs> with uh, three other people it completely opens that game up because suddenly the way that you're supposed to interact with the the enemy which is so for example on your own is so easy to be overwhelmed because of course you're looking yeah. in one direction you're like laying down fire with a machine gun and you think you're doing pretty well and suddenly there's an entire swarm of bugs who've snuck up behind you but yeah it's just it's just so enjoyable and the way that you can like pop the map and every they will appear on the map as little red dots so you can see your enemy all around you it's super easy to see where they are if they're near you but just trying to control the different elements of this game and I thought I was going to hate stratagems. For anyone who's seen stratagems has not played Helldivers before and is questioning it, right? So stratagems, effectively, the way you call in uh, an airstrike or a support strike or a, a hell pod with something in it that you can use is um, you hold down a button and then you've got to tap in a sequence of uh, arrow key inputs. When I first saw that, I was thinking, like, this is going to be rubbish. There's even an, a, um, uh, a deluxe version where you can have a little pod on your ship that allows you to practice stratagems which i was just like this is so this is so pointless like why would anyone do this but actually running away from a swarm of bugs some of which are easy to kill but are little and annoying some of which will kill you with one hit and some of which are like super heavies and if you're within 20 feet of them you're dead and trying to do a sequence combination where you're going like up down left right down down right right left to throw a uh, a, a beacon to like reinforce by calling in a mate or calling in an airstrike does actually add such a cool element to that game so having never had played Helldivers before and never doing strategies before I'm, I'm there for it man i had a oh it's so annoying i had a 15 minute clip that i was going to upload where i'd my entire team was wiped we had no reinforcements left there were bugs absolutely everywhere i couldn't re i couldn't stop to reload i would have been dead so i ended up just legging it around jumping around trying to dodge bugs and to get onto my dropship to escape so we completed the mission and we got the benefit you know the bonuses for completing the mission and i did it and i pulled it off and i saved the clip and then i had to delete everything on my playstation 5 so it got wiped oh shit yeah you had to um, re reboot or like factory settings it didn't you yeah i did but anyway yeah. i was sort of fangirling over hell divers too but i know it is yeah. it's such a solid uh like fun simple but meaty product like so it you know it's it's one of those games where because you have now you've you've uh um purchased but not played yes, yes correct so hopefully when we play uh we play some you'll get a taste for how it's you some of it is, is simplistic and it's not like high level in in way some games games are and sort of the mission structure but when that game hits and you've got um loads of bugs coming at you from multiple directions multiple types of bugs and you're trying to think of like okay what what ammo should i or what uh, weapon am i using for this what sort of airstrike is, is going to be best for this and the un the way that they've done the war bonds and the unlocking so like the battle passes 
is very clever as well. So they've tried really hard to not make this game um, pay to win, which I, I like that they've done. Um, mm. So they've effectively got a system whereby you can do the paid for battle pass, but you still need medals to unlock anything. But the way you get medals is you have to get them in game. So you can't cheese it in order to get stuff. So you might, you're on a better path if you like, um, if you're on the paid for the premium war bond. Um, and you can buy things for real money. Like if you want to buy certain things, they have a limited amount of stock of, you know, suits and guns. I, which I have purchased. I will. I will. Well, I did uh, uh, buy myself a cool looking mask and a uh, suit of armor. Um, you got you to look cool while you're doing cool shit. I, I may. I look damn cool. I look damn. There you go. Say that. Um, but yeah, this, this is a solid game, and I cannot wait to play it with uh, you and maybe some other people with headsets on. I was the only. So this is this is how sad it got. I never do this. I was in a public yeah. match, and I was talking on the microphone because I was be I was trying to be like, yeah, come on, guys. Let's go and do we, this. Let's do that. I never do that. It, it sounds like one of those games. Yeah. And it's in, and it, the intensity, which I love, is there. Like, you're literally running, you know, you're, you're, there's a guy shooting, shooting past you with a heavy machine gun because you have no ammo, and you're running up to him, and then you can double tap circle and leap and onto the floor, and he's, like, covering you, and then you reload and you turn around yeah. and you start shooting. It's that kind of level of, damn, this game feels sick. I really want to just, like, oh. play it more. So, yeah. Super happy. Yeah. And I I think they have, well, they're what is fed into sort of like the virality of the game. That's also kind of caught me off guard. Like, but I think we've talked in the past about how it, you sometimes can use friends or family asking you about things as a litmus test for how much it's catching on in the outside world. And I had that with my flatmate this week where he messaged me during work and was like, what's Helldivers? <laughs> and I was explaining him like, why are you asking? And he's like, it's all I'm seeing on TikTok. Um, and like maybe he wandered down a weird rabbit hole that's actually but then uh, the numbers and the sales and the uh the stress they're putting the servers under suggest that maybe this, there is some of that going on and i think beyond the you know that you mentioned like the sort of the slightly cinematic presentation where almost the tension of the some of the circumstances that players find themselves create these almost action movie sequences and you combine that with some of the settings like i don't know if you've done or seen footage of this sort of like what people are describing as like robot Vietnam, where it's this nighttime setting and more of a jungle-like planet against robots that fire lasers. And of course, there's such a heavy and thick sense of atmosphere that you know these lasers are penetrating through fog and through darkness, and it feels. And people are like you say, diving around and just calling in stratagems last minute, and like you're getting these almost like you know held over equivalent of napalm strikes going across it is napalm it is a napalm they call it a napalm strike there you go so. there you go um and then you combine that with i'm not i never played lethal company that game that kind of went viral towards the end of last year um on pc uh but like it, that trend of of companies making perhaps slightly obtuse decisions intentionally because they know that it will lead to carnage and carnage leads to memorable right. moments so things like this is a game where like not only is friendly fire always on but you are made a very you're made very aware that friendly fire is a thing and that everyone's gonna kill a mate at some point or another yeah then all the things whether it's players respawning or stratagems coming in via these drop pods that can also kill you if they land on you um the kind of the 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 over over the slightly overdone but still very uh nicely judged uh ragdoll effects like like you said like the you know, the dive that is the dive that then allows you to lie on your back and continue shooting and all these kind of things um a lot of decisions that i think they, they looked at and they were like yeah we there is a world where people or like 
for example, uh, get reloading before you've emptied a magazine makes you lose all the ammo that's left in that magazine. So you run out of ammo more often, so you have to call in more, uh, more like reinforcements and whatever more regularly. Like all these decisions that feed into a thing where they were like, let's make a system where all roads lead to carnage. Um, yes. And that's going to create, you know, like I said, memorable moments. And I love that. It's, for, for, it's, one, it's something, one of those games as well where you, if I'm not, I don't know, but it almost feels like they've seen or, the, or they know of certain scenes and things from, you know, cool movies and whatever, like you're saying, like, right. like Vietnam movies and what, what is the thing everyone loves in the Vietnam movie? It's the, it's the napalm strike running like left or right in front of you and just the flames and, and getting that kind of feel and, and having offsetting like the atmosphere of the game. So you have like darkness and then you have the napalm versus the darkness. And then yeah. so I we played one. It was horrible. I played one with a, with some randoms, and it was in like a smoky, really like bad visual, uh, bad visibility area where we had to destroy a bunch of stuff in a bug stronghold. And there were bugs everywhere, but you couldn't. But usually you can see them from quite some distance, right? But you just couldn't see them because it was smoky and dense, so that they were just coming out of ev like every direction. And it was horrible, and I and it had a terrible time. And then it got to the point where you're just like in some areas like you want to do a side so there's usually you have like a main mission on a map so it'll drop you in and you can choose where you drop in and it can be go and kill the big bug and then evacuate and you could do that in five minutes if you wanted but they give you 40 minutes on the clock so you're like okay okay yep i've got 40 minutes so then you, what you're in, inspired to do is go and do the side quest is to actually look around the environment because if you look around the environment there's beacons that you can see that like these yellow beams going up into the air that are like crashed pods and in those pods could be uh, in-game currency it could be medals that you need to unlock stuff in the uh, the, the gate uh, battle pass so there's definite incentive to go and explore and to like do other stuff but when you're exploring you then have these these uh they're not emergent like you know properly emergent but they they feel it in the sense of you'll walk around a corner you'll see a little bug and you shoot the little bug and then you don't realize there's another bug with it and then it does this weird cool thing where it squirts stuff in the sky and then it will say like bug breach and all of a sudden out of the ground this massive bug will appear um and for me like one of the first things that happened to me which i was like yes this game is for me was uh one of these like very arachnoid looking things from starship troopers was running at me i had an assault rifle and i'm blasting and i'm like reloading and i managed to reload and then i'm blasting it because the other thing is like as you were saying about uh not reloading you know all your bullets and your mag like go if you reload also um movement makes shooting much harder so the idea is you stand still to shoot you can yeah. move, like you can run around, but obviously standing. So I'm standing still, blasting this bug. I have to reload, and I'm shooting it. And it was really reminiscent of the scene in Starship Troopers where the arachnid is running at Rico, and then he's there, he's blasting it, blasting it, blasting it, and it's getting all bits of it are flying off. And it's like you can, and as it gets hit, like the impact of the bullets really does affect the bugs, like which is what I've done most of the bugs. And it died right as it reached me, like it was mm. one foot from me and could have eviscerated me, but didn't luckily but in the film i think it like the arachnid then like lurches up and stabs him through the leg and he nearly dies and i was like holy shit they've made this game feel just so on point like it's obviously people it's like a love letter to that kind of feel and genre and it's all about how it makes you feel and i think you're right carnage it is carnage it's it's like dirty the everything has impact everything has weight like using your machine gun feels like something you don't just want to waste your ammo like you you're conservative and you know this that's sick i absolutely love it good nice and can't wait to play say, on with you a bit of cross play 
Yeah, for sure. No, I'm I'm looking forward to uh to getting it fired up. Like one of my reservations was am I gonna have like a crew to play with? And I feel like um between the people who I know who have got it and or the people who I know are interested, there'll be enough to at least get things started. And if I have to go the rest of the way with randoms because that's the way it pans out, then then so be it. I'll uh, I'll do my what's the salute they do? It just it's like a, them putting their fist up in the air. I think they I think it's like toward them. It's like it's weird, but you can change it's it out. I think I know you I maybe you can't change this salute, I suppose, but you, yeah, because you've got emotes, but you can't like just drop an emote like you do in most games either. Like you, yeah. you salute certain things to make them happen, which is quite funny. <laughs> I do like that. Yeah. A very important question before you move on, though. Um, what's the name of your ship? Uh, it is the Lady of Freedom. Oh, okay. That's. It's good. It's cl- it's classic. It's classic. It's classic. So uh, there is a there is a because the. Just talking about like again, I don't want to like bang on about Starship Troopers. They have definitely been inspired by that. Like even the opening of the game is a guy who uh, is talking at the camera, like exactly like Starship Troopers, and he's like, "You could do the bit to save your thing," and it's all about like dem- taking democracy to the bugs. And it's um talks about like if you don't, the, how many more bugs will the will kill? Like how many more children will be killed by the? Bu-? And it's this weird kind of tone of you know the Fallout tone, the Starship Troopers tone. It's that. Um, and uh, yeah, doing my part. Yeah, I'm doing my part. And so I was like, when it said name your ship, I was like, oh man, it's got to be something that fits into that. It can't be something cool. It can't be something quirky. I was like, Lady of Freedom. That is, yeah, that's banging. Nice. Yeah, taking nice, taking awesome. freedom to the bugs and the robots. And obviously, there's there's scope in the future for to introduce new um new enemy types. Um, I think I. Was, I, I, I was watching a video about it, and I, there was—I think there is a third enemy type in Helldivers, which is not at the moment in this in Helldivers Two. I can't remember what right. it is, so I'm pretty sure at the moment it's just yeah, bugs and robots. But there's there's definitely scope for um, uh, more to be to be introduced down the line, depending on how well the game does. So yeah, so uh, from the moment I'm seeing Terminids and Automatons, yes, as the two. Oh, one thing I will say, which is okay, so this I love this as well as a little little bit. If you just let rip with your with your weapon and you hitting mm. like multiple kills on on the enemies, um, yeah. your your guy your character will start to go, <laughs> and it will start making <laughs> noises like that, which is yeah, very cool. Nice, love that. Love that. no, awesome, awesome. I'm really happy for the team that like they've been able to stumble. Like for as unsure as I was in some of the you know state of plays and times where we saw trailers prior to release, that like clearly that formula worked. That transition from sort of isometric perspective to the third person shooter perspective has like has has not just kept a lot of the things that made Helldivers Helldivers, but almost enhanced them in many ways. And it's just really cool to see this sort of I I don't know if going viral is the right way of putting it for Helldivers too. I'm sure it was obviously like pretty popular out the gates, but it's it's nice to see just like the word of mouth spread as as far and wide as it has, and the game kind of becoming a success story seemingly beyond even that which the developers expected which you always like to see it sounds like they've been taken aback slightly by how successful it's been out the gate already sold over a million units and obviously concurrent players um exceeding you know two and three hundred thousand on given days once so one thing i will say on that is that so they started out the obviously with the the matchmaking issues now yeah. I, I thought they were still having problems because i was i kept trying to match make um now it shows you uh, joinable matches on on the planet you're sort of like looking at all these different planets you can go and do missions on, and I thought I was struggling because of connection issues, and I was like, "What's going on? Have they is the matchmaking still still naffed up?" 
Then I realized, because I actually joined a mission, it was just that so many people are there joining games that it's happening so rapidly that you're trying to join a game and it's immediately getting filled up and then you're trying to join oh, another game. And actually, um, it's... So, and then, but it, it caused a weird glitch with me one time because when it when you go and join another game, you actually go and get on board their ship with them and you enter through like a side door and it sort of like opens and pushes you in in a pod. But I there were so many people trying to join this one game that my character got glitched through the wall and I couldn't get onto the actual ship and I was stuck in like the loading bay thing. And it's just because there's so many people trying to find games to join but um which, yeah. which is which is hey that's like you know it's, it's a, a testament to how well the game's done how many people are enjoying it yeah but um, and they, they put out do you see the statement they put out where they were like apologizing i think this was maybe going into the weekend or during the weekend where at one point i think i think it might have been the ceo of the company who put out a statement basically being like our, our devs need to sleep like this is like <laughs> you get it you get the impression that like there are people who have been putting in you know, fucking sixteen-hour days just trying to. D- oh, put out I would many think twenty. Well, I think twenty-four. I would not be surprised. I would. Some people, I'm some people, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So the idea of the CEO having to step in and tell his employees to go and sleep, like that, kind of sucks. You like the idea of devs continuing to having to crunch after a game is coming out, uh, and part of that crunch being down to the game being more popular than they thought it would be. Like, it's a weird one, but but yeah, I'm I, I'm it, I, I'm sure all the fans are very appreciative of the work they're doing and hopefully you know there's a kind of like a things will level out very sooner rather than later and uh, hey like a 30 pound price tag as well for a you know a solid enjoyment absolutely 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 yeah so and and day and day on pc which obviously playstation haven't done a lot of yet um and crossplay which i think they might have turned crossplay off momentarily at one point for the sake of server stability but yeah uh, lots of commendable things happening on the helldivers 2 front Yes, indeed. Can't wait to uh, jump in there and uh, have a, a bl- blast some bugs and some automatons with, um, with yeah. and some others, Jamie. Uh, but yeah, let's jump into our last news story today. We're going to quickly talk about Hideo Kojima, uh, his new game, Fizz Int, because Kojima Productions, as we know, are now making three games. Um, well, making, have have three games coming. Um, but we didn't know much about Fizz Int. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say they're working on three. I don't know how much. I know you, you're. Yeah, I, I understand the hesitancy. I, I don't know what the right way of putting that is either. Um, obviously, yeah, we found out about Fizzin the other day, uh, and we didn't get to know much about it. It was like, is it a? Is it actually a game? Is it more of a movie? Um, but uh, Hideo Kojima has opened up a little bit more uh, in an episode of Hideo Tube, the web series, um, where he's he's been talking a little bit more about um, the game. Not much more about the game, but also like his why he's doing it um his way of of you know how he's looking at the future with him making games at this point just one thing to say i forget how old he is and when he was talking about the fact that he's 60 years old and you're looking down the barrel of ds2 fizzing and overdose and thinking this guy's gonna be like 70 years old before some or almost 70 by the time some of these games have come out you know which is kind of like are these is mad, right? Original yeah. games are they the last ones we're going to see from Hideo? Um, we crack on, like, yeah, because because part of what the, what what this was and part of like what he was talking about was this idea that I think he says at one point that he doesn't want to retire, but then the sad thing about retirement is for some people it is not a choice. Some people it's you know a decision that they need to make because maybe the way that their work is impacting their health or for any number of reasons. And so, yeah, like the reality that we are staring down the barrel of, you know, the last handful, perhaps, uh, 
of of Hideo Kojima's game is that at least that he's got such a front and center role on is a little bit scary and I'm sure so even for him which is why I guess the idea that there may have been unfinished business was particular per, particularly pertinent to him uh, at this crossroads yeah and so um not just his age but also the fact that so Hideo opened up about the fact that he was quite sick during lockdown um and it actually meant that he needed to have surgery and I think he's the first time he sort of faced his own mortality which is really interesting for someone like Hideo Kojima because you've got to think that with such a creative mind and you know all the sort of stories that he comes up with different life moments and things that are like quite impactful um have got to have a real Im- you know impact on the way you make games for example like when he's talking about Death Stranding a big thing he was trying to push with that was these strand games and how we're all connected and obviously the idea of Death Stranding 2 is um, should we be connected and how are we connected and is it a good thing that we you know there's a whole bunch of different things and concepts that he's playing with so the idea of like one's own mortality that maybe he's never really that he said he's never really thought of before could actually have not just impacted the fact that he's going to make a game that he said a lot of people have been asking him to but i wonder will also impact the the way and the story of the game that he ends up making yeah, I, 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 I'd be more surprised if that wasn't the case. So like you, you mentioned Death Stranding, and that was very much the case there. But it was the case all the way through, like Metal Gear Solid. Like whether you're talking about kind of Metal Gear Solid Two and the rise of and like the the, the spread of the, the internet and the online age that was emerging at the time. Metal Gear Solid Five um, had a lot to say about um, the nuclear arms race, for example. Which, like, I know that that is a decades-old concept in some respects at the moment, but it's still. You know, the, the, the idea of whether or not one person will ever push the big red button and that conversation does still spark up every now and then, usually depending on who's president of the United States at any given point. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, if anything, I would be surprised if the things either personally or cultural culturally that were on Hideo's mind weren't worked into in some way, shape or form. Uh, I don't know how one's own, coming to terms with one's own mortality informs the sort of either the backdrop or the narrative for an action espionage game because again like what some of this the way he talks about in this episode of Hideo Tube um responding to fans how he'd be listening to all these fans who and he's almost like doing this because people have been asking him so much um telling him that this is what people want it's almost an indirect acknowledgement that he knows and is doing this because people want the Metal Gear guy to make more Metal Gear. So in some respects, the other thing that's interesting for me, beyond some of the elements that you know, Hideo will undoubtedly draw from his own life and insert into Fizzin, is to is how does he toe that line between, like, how do you not make something that's a Metal Gear knockoff? How do you make something that feels new and original? Right. Um, and, and those kinds of things, when when that's so... When even the, the seemingly the inspiration for creating it seems so um, heavily drawn from his history with that franchise yes so uh, let me i'll just give you the actual quotes from him because i think some of these are quite in, quite interesting and actually sort of uh interesting like quite stark as well for the fact that at one point he's sort of suggesting that he was thinking he might not even be able to make games anymore so um the one quote that he gives about being ill during the during pandemic he said um i was sick and isolated during all of it i even had surgery and thought i can't anymore i was at my lowest I felt like I couldn't go back to making games. I wrote a will too. And in that moment, I realized that people die. But I turned 60 last year, I'll turn 70 in 10 years, and I hope never to retire. Having said that, if the users desire it so much, I thought I should change my priorities a bit. 
I still want to do new things, but I decided to make an action espionage game, which I'm I which exactly as you've said, I find that quite an interesting quote because it's kind of like people want more Metal Gear. I don't know if I can make games anymore. Um, I want to give people what they want, but I never want to quit. But I so I want to go back to Metal Gear. It's like this weird circular. How do you make the game, which is going to be the culmination of your work, which is what he's also said, without copycatting Metal Gear too much, but also giving fans what they want? It's that's quite, I think it's probably quite a, a tough ask, even from someone like Hideo Kojima. Yeah, that's probably one of the many of the questions that he's asking himself at this very point in time. <laughs> like, hey, there's a reason that this was a code name and a handshake. You know, that that's that's basically what this project is at the moment. Uh, I'm sure there are a lot of things to figure out, and. As I'm, you know, a lot of the things that happens in a lot of the cases, um, I feel like as we get closer and closer to the release of a Hideo Kojima game, what happens is all these mysteries and uncertainties and fan theories and and quotes that get taken out of context and so on and so forth all get condensed down and crystallized, and you're left with a product that is often in many ways unusual and occasionally even indecipherable, but is fundamentally like like still a product and still a thing that exist on source shelves and you play it and you go oh that's what this is and so th there is a part of me that just thinks okay yeah but like Fizzin is just going to be an action espionage game but he's going to come up with a new set of secret government you know uh, agencies right. and he's going to come up with a new uh, it'd be interesting to see what he does with the protagonist because again if you make another grizzled white man protagonist and make this one a super top secret spy that everyone's just going to go, how does he make him not snake? Female, That's gonna be female, to see. female snake. Fe fe that would be very interesting to see. Um, or like, and then, yeah, uh, again, uh, even the, fun the funny thing is, even Death Stranding, while obviously being, he talked about the idea of a, of a stick in a rope game and how, you know, do you, do you prefer to use the stick or the rope? You do have to use the stick sometimes in Death Stranding. There are combat sequences in that game. There are stealth sequences in that game. And so there are times where, if from a third-person perspective, you are crouch walking or or going prone and crawling and shooting enemies and taking people out in the same way that you might have if Death Stranding had been sort of like had elements of the Metal Gear formula in it. So that's the other thing that's on my mind in all of this is that like for for as much as Death Stranding wasn't the action espionage game that people wanted it to be, Death Stranding did did still have stealth action third-person shooter components in them reminiscent of the work that Hideo Kojima has done in recent times um and so I'm fascinated to see kind of like but the, I'm fascinated to see what this looks like for many for all of those reasons but at the same time I don't need to be that impressed by Fizzin in terms of it being something wildly different like if Hideo Kojima just makes a super cool super slick super cinematic hey Josie quadruple A uh, action espionage game where he brings up brings in a bunch more of his Hollywood friends and brings in some stupid fashion designer to design <laughs> maybe not a pair of sunglasses this time but maybe a pair of shoes that get their own gross egregious close-up with the name of the shoes and the fashion designer credited as the close-up happened like as long as that shit still happens <laughs> I'm still fine yes and also one thing I think which um I, I think we even had the conversation more so around um overdose um but he he was asked the question, you know, he's or he has been asked the question multiple times about like, what is this? Is it a game? Is it a movie? Is it a is it a crossover? Um, and he has, to, as far as he, I guess he will at this point, he has clarified that whilst um, he has said that he the fizzing was supposed to transcend the barriers between film and video games, he has clarified that 
Um, it is a game. It is a game. That's what it is. But what he said is, if your mum was to walk in and see you playing it, she may think you're watching a movie. So I, it, that kind of gives me more of a, okay, so what you're trying to say is, it is completely a video game, but you want someone to look at it who is maybe not, you know, doesn't know games that well, and it looks so damn good that they say, okay, this could be a movie. And yeah, there was a part of me that wanted to reach out and say, Hideo, like, I know not all mums are created equal, but my mum crossed that threshold about 20 years ago. She walked in and said, turn the football off. I said, mum, it's a, it's FIFA. I was like, oh, the graphics are so good. Mum, it's FIFA 2005. Get over yourself. Mine, yeah, mine did as well. Yeah, as you saw 10, 15 years ago, we're like, oh, it looks amazing. Although, yeah. to be fair, my dad the other day was watching my kids play Minecraft and he went, oh, why does this look so crap? Uh, yeah, so there we go. Right. And then, of course, that like that happens in the backdrop of the um, the little we have seen on of overdose seems to hinge on the use of you know metahumans, for example, and extreme close-ups of actors doing performance capture in a way that kind of like blurs the lines between live action and and computer generated imagery. So, like, yeah, maybe it's probably that he, I, whether it's you know, see, like. You know, being the first person to show off the next-gen capabilities of the Decima engine to his work where we were with Unreal uh, and some of the stuff that's probably happening on the Xbox side, there probably are a lot of you know technical um, advancements that are revealing themselves to Hideo Kojima on a daily basis, and he strikes me as the kind of person who sees something cool or interesting or new and immediately tries to think about ways that he can utilize it in, you know, in his next project. Short of, like, he hasn't really shown too much you know, care for like he didn't appear to care for motion controls during the Wii era, or he never tried to do anything on the Connect or anything else that I know of. Um, so he doesn't go he doesn't go in for gimmicks, but he definitely likes technical advancements. I was say- actually I would take that back. He absolutely goes in for and any man who develops a like whatever it was like a Game Boy Advance game that literally is solar powered, it does go in for gimmicks. So I take that back. Um, I uh, the one thing I think with the fizzing is. Uh, I don't want it to be open world. Think I, back. Yes, I yes, I agree. I agree. It should Net, not be. Metal Gear Five was was fine, but if I did have a choice, that's one thing I would say is I don't want it to be open world. I don't, but I, I don't I don't know why there'd be any concern that it would be. Like no, no, I'm just I'm just saying you know we don't know what did, it is. Did, yeah, we've got no idea. Did you con- did you consider Metal Gear Solid Five open world? Uh, yes, mostly more like okay, okay more like hubby hubby. Maybe, but um, Hubby. I would like it to be less open world than than MG Phantom Fan, Pain. If we okay, okay, I think I had a request I, I can put out there into the ether. I think that's fair enough. I think that also would help Kojima achieve his dream of uh, tricking mums into thinking that his video game is in fact live action. Of course, the smaller the scope, you know, the easier it theoretically would be to achieve realistic, lifelike visuals. That is very true. Um, well. With that bombshell, I think it's time to wrap this up, Jamie. How long did we go for? I talk, I tried to talk about Skull and Bones for as long as I could. You did great. This has been an hour and 40 minutes, pretty much. That's, that's, a, that's a good effort. That's a good effort. Respectable off the absolute dearth of news that we had this week. Um, but all that remains for me to say is thank you very much for everyone who joined us in chat. It was chatting away. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to a couple of people who are still knocking around. Rodrigo, Jim Johnston. Thank you for watching. Martin Ruffle, a uh, friend of the podcast. Oh, shout out, Martin. As well. uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you, everyone who didn't chat and who was just lurking. 
And to everyone who watches this in the future, um, you can catch us on YouTube, Twitter, at Super Sh- and we're at Super Show Pod. And we are, of course, across Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, all those great places. Um, and we will see you. I d- I'll probably say the same time next week. Like this, We've pushed it to Tuesday quite a uh, last few weeks running. And I think <laughs> we'll probably do it. Maybe Tuesday will just become the new day Wait, for the Super Show. Was this episode 198? This was 198. Okay. Yes. So two, well, one more to go. And then it's... 200 uh the big one yeah special the big one i don't i can't i don't know if i should say anything maybe i shouldn't well we'll let, we'll just, let's just like, like we said the other week just stay tuned make sure stay you're tuned. subscribed or whatever it is have your ear to the ground hopefully fun stuff happening around ring, yeah ring the bell for notifications to get notified you you'll want to <laughs> you'll want to be around in two weeks to join us for two well no let's let's be real you you want to be around every week because every episode's really cool and worth watching but also hopefully episode 200 will be a fun one yeah absolutely uh well thank you everybody um i'm gonna do my smash cut apparently that i do every time now because that's what i do um thank you jamie thanks so much for joining thank you jonesy no my pleasure thanks for hosting see ya bye and don't forget